0: Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Journeys with Jen, and I'm Jennifer Griego.
1: And I climb like hell
0: through the brush in the bramble. Hey, even though I had my doubts, told myself don't
2: look down, and I turn that hill into a pile of
0: Today I'm here with um, a friend of ours, Russ Jacoby, and my dad is on here as well, um, Bob Griego. I call him Dad. Um, but uh, Russ, how's it going? How have you been doing?
2: Doing excellent. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. So notice, notice I, Russ.
2: She doesn't care how I'm how I'm doing. That was not even. Oh, sorry. I was talking, just telling ta- you,
0: father. Up. How are you? It's been, it's been uh, a I'm long time. I to haven't Russ. seen you. <laughs>
2: Okay. Go ahead, Jen. Um, I'm just picking on you.
0: No. Uh, anyway, so sorry you have to deal with us, Russ. Um, but we know Russ from my buffalo hunt in the Kaibab um, almost two years two years ago now, uh, and my dad has a hunt with him starting next weekend. Um, so how – I know you've been sending me some pictures, Russ, and I've been uh, looking on Facebook and seeing your updates. So how has it been going this year? How has the hunt been going?
1: The counts have been going exceptionally well. Um, Unfortunately, Arizona is in a drought pattern, and Mm -hmm. that's probably an understatement for those that aren't actually in Arizona and aren't, uh, even for the ones that are, if you're not out in the woods Mm -hmm. as much, it may be hard to really appreciate how bad, how severe of a drought that we're in.
0: Yeah, and so has that been drawing the buffalo? Or actually, for people who don't have not hunted on the Kaibab for buffalo, can you give us like a brief um, how it works up there? Kind of what you do and how you help everyone, all the hunters out up there?
1: Uh, absolutely. So the Kaibab bison hunt is unique uh, in North America. It's not the only place that it happens, but there are very few places where there are still wild, free-ranging bison. Uh, the Arizona Game and Fish Department describes their Arizona bison hunt on the North Rim as the hardest hunt in Arizona. And uh, one of the reasons for that is bison are extremely intelligent and they have learned mm. to live inside of the Grand Canyon National Park where uh, we can't currently hunt them. So you're literally hunting an animal in a unit where they don't exist. So the bison visit the Kaibab National Forest. So the the trick to being successful on the bison hunt, as you know, Jen, is to Mm -hmm. wait patiently on the forest adjacent to the Grand Canyon National Park and then to harvest bison when they come off. So when we have hot and dry conditions, as we have this year, it can actually increase opportunities because bison are more active in hot, dry conditions, and they crave uh, some of the attractants that we use, such as salt, more, and they're more likely to come off of the park.
0: Yeah, so by that, it's been pretty good for you this year. They've been coming out of the park and going for the salt.
1: They have been. um, But one thing that I was hoping to share with your listeners today is that we can actually have times where it's too dry, and we're clearly in one of those times now. um, When it's too dry, opportunities can actually decrease a little bit. And if you understand the reasons why, I think it's kind of interesting so if you imagine a park boundary as just a straight line, if there is water within, let's say, four or five miles of the park boundary, bison in that swath adjacent to the boundary are more likely to cross. As those mm-hmm. water sources within a few miles of the boundary dry up, bison may actually get further into the park. When they're deeper into the park, it's a lot harder for them or there's an obstacle um, for distance for them to leave the park and come onto the forest where we legally hunt them. So we can right. actually have it be too too dry, and we're experiencing some of those conditions right now.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, but they're right now they're coming out of the park, and they've been going to the salt, so it hasn't reached that too dry point quite yet. It's, they're still moving around the boundary?
1: They're still moving around the boundary, but if there was a little bit more water along the park, we'd probably have even better results than we're currently having. We're having good results, um, but it's kind of this pendulum, and you, once you break over the breakover point, it actually gets worse. And mm-hmm. what concerns me is if we don't get some moisture, that it that it could get really bad in the future.
0: Yeah. Um, and how's the population of the herd doing?
1: Um, the population of the herd is doing extremely well. Um, They're doing too well for their own good, and as such, the Park Service is working to try to reduce their numbers um, because sport hunting is unable Mm -hmm. to reduce the herd enough to meet management objectives. So the Park Service Mm -hmm. has um, several tools in their toolbox that they're working with to try to reduce the herd. Uh, They do do live captures in the park in a capture pen, and this Jeez. year, um, you may have seen that they've actually did a park call that's scheduled to happen later yeah. this year. Yeah, I saw yeah,
0: that. I was October, it? that. Yeah, so that's going to be October,
1: isn't it? Yeah, it's in the fall. Yeah, it's in the fall. And uh, the there were forty five thousand applicants that applied for the park call. Of the forty five thousand applicants, it's my understanding that they select twenty five as a pool of volunteers. Oh, wow. Of that pool of 25, there will actually be 12 volunteers that actually are involved in the physical call. And um, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. There was only a, a very short time frame of when it was announced, um, probably less than a week or so between the announcement and when the uh, the lottery happened for that call. And in that short period of time, 45,000 people applied, which is was pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, so how many are they, are they planning to, like, take care of during that time with only the 12 people?
1: Um, it's one bison per volunteer, and so there will be a grand total of 12 removed. And when I share that with people, they're like, wait a minute, that's not going to make very big of a difference. Um, this is a pilot program. You commonly mm-hmm. see uh, in these types of situations where they'll pilot a program and see how it goes and then – they'll adjust or pivot after they get some results from the pilot program.
0: Right, okay. And, Russ, are you involved
1: with that at all? Well, we certainly have been available as an expert to share information when requested, and we have been doing that. Um, In addition to that, um, you may know Eric Hunt. He was selected as one of the volunteers, and each volunteer can have up to five volunteer helpers. So we've been uh, asked to be one of Eric's volunteer helpers. So hopefully, the um, call uh-huh. will move forward, and that we can be involved in it because we'd like to support that. Um, which is something else I'd like to share with your listeners. I get asked quite a bit, like Russ, why would you support this? Well, we believe in conservation in all forms, and we believe mm-hmm. that part of being a good community member is supporting these types of efforts. And Uh, conservation may be in different formats than hunters are accustomed to, but ethical, responsible sportsmen should support these types of conservation efforts, is our belief.
0: Yes, um, for sure. Obviously, we love hunting um, as a sport, but the main goal is to keep the animal population, um, have the conservation for them, make sure that they don't have, they're not overpopulated, and make sure that the environment is still suitable for them. Um, to stay healthy and safe.
2: That's right, Jenny. It's also important for the listeners to know that, you know, Russ has been consistent with his efforts uh, for conservation and helping habitat for many game animals over the years. It's not just uh, the bison hunts that he conducts and and several other big game hunts that he outfits or guides for, but he's also hauled water over the years, helped to improve habitat, Mm -hmm. uh, works with the game and fish too help all sorts of conservation efforts. So, Russ, you've been walking the walk for quite a while, and we, as Arizona sportsmen, are grateful for what you do.
1: Thank you. We appreciate that. We certainly try to give back to the resource as much as possible. And uh, one of the things that we're doing this year that that we kind of started heavily last year, I and mean, we've always hauled water, but last mm. year was was certainly a unique year. And we hauled a crap ton of water last year. Um, we did a lot of water hauling in Unit 9, and we didn't even hunt or guide in Unit 9 last year. We do sometimes, but last year it was just a need, and it was relatively close to home, something that we could do and something that we felt that was important. So this year we're stepping up our efforts. Um, we've purchased a trailer that allows us to move 2,000 gallons of water at a time, and that's a wow. private wow. resource that, that we've purchased and we're actually shopping for a semi-trailer that allows to move um, 6,000 gallons of water um, close to where it needs to be distributed. So, as an example, on the Kaibab, we can have a semi bring water from town up on the Highway 67. And if you're familiar with the Kaibab, it essentially bisects the Kaibab Plateau by bringing the right. water close to where we need it on the highway we then can grab the water from that container and quickly distribute it to the water resources. And our plan is to not do that just where we're bison hunting, but to do it everywhere on the plateau that is needed. So we've been in discussions with Todd Buck from the Arizona Game and Fish Department, who is the wildlife manager for that unit, um, and asked him to identify where's the water needed and where can we bring it to. So we will invite the listeners that want to support that effort um, to get involved either in volunteerism or through donations to help support that effort.
0: Yeah. And so and when you are hauling great. the water... Sorry, go ahead, Jen. Um, so when you're hauling the water, kind of where are you taking it and what exactly, um, I'm assuming it's helpful to have the animals obviously have water because it's such a big drought right now. Um, so is that the purpose, basically, to provide water for the animals in that area?
1: Absolutely. So an experiment that I'll invite your listeners to do, Jen, ask Mm -hmm. them to go without water for just four hours, just four hours. Don't drink any liquids. And it's called thirsty. And now imagine you went eight or 10 or 12 hours or two days without something to drink. Um, Thirst is a very graphic way for people to understand the struggles for wild animals. So if you've ever been truly thirsty, it should break your heart to know that there's animals out there that could die because they can't get something to drink. And I can't stop that from happening everywhere. I'm sorry, Jen. The places where we can stop that, we're committed to doing that.
0: Yes, and thank you so much. for. I have been watching you guys call water on Facebook, and – um, Something not all hunters, um, non-hunters don't always understand is how much we love these animals. We truly love and respect them, um, which is why we do what we do. We help their, try and help their population as much as possible um, through hunting, is what my family and I do. Um, donations to try and help foundations get water and minerals out to the animals that need them, and rest doing all of this hands-on um, hauling water, moving it to where animals need them because. It is such a big deal. Obviously, everything needs water. Every living being needs water, and so having um, the heart that and the hardworking um, effort that you put into it, Russ, is amazing. And I I know that as hunters, I'm so thankful for that. And I'm sure the animals, if they could thank you, they would because you are saving their lives um, and helping them stay alive and healthy out there uh, in this really rough condition.
1: Appreciate that, Jen. And you know. It's not just the ungulates. It's not the the iconic species that sportsmen hunt. Um, when you come put water in a tank and, you know, birds and squirrels and rabbits and lizards and insects come and drink and they're lapping up that water because they haven't had any,
2: um, it touches you. Yeah.
0: And,
2: and you know what? As an outfitter and a guide and a hunter you've you've witnessed a lot of animals um, uh, the end of their life to an arrow or to a a bullet and you know not everything goes perfectly, but the vast majority of times those are much more humane ways for an animal's demise than you know dying of starvation or dehydration and it's it's a brutal way for for animals to die when they don't have enough water or feed and As sportsmen, it's not just the conservation efforts you're talking about with bringing water and maintaining habitat, but it's also maintaining populations for the carrying capacity. Uh, A lot of non-hunters don't understand that, but but, uh, hunters have a tremendous um, opportunity and responsibility for help working with the Game and Fish Department to maintain population quotas that keep up with the changing environment and the landscape availability of food and water and things that changes with, human, um, housing and, and redistricting and all that sort of stuff. So, um, obviously it is a much more, um, emotional thing to see an animal that's dying slowly and suffering because of lack of water or food than it is to much when fall over instantly from a well-placed arrow or a bullet. Agreed.
1: And, um, you know, I get a lot of comments on Facebook. People are go, why doesn't Game and Fish do this or why doesn't Game and Fish do that? And I, I don't think they really understand that they're resource limited, and it's not an excuse. Mm-hmm. It's they're not funded to do that. They're not prepared to deal with the drought that we're experiencing. And we certainly are blessed um, to have a great um, career that supports my family, and then the guiding mm-hmm. is a second career for us. And we believe strongly in giving back to the organizations. Um, that help sportsmen um, like the the veterans or the permits mm-hmm. like Jen got. And we believe in doing that. But we also believe in giving back to support the conservation of the habitat and the critters that live there. So if we all band together, we can overcome this challenge in front of us, but it's going to take all of us working together to do that. I think we're recognized as an industry and a uh, a resource uh, community leader in the area for what we do there. And what we're trying to do is get out in front and set the pace and invite others to get involved. So, Jen, one of the things I'll want you to do is is put Eddie mm-hmm. Corona's contact information in your podcast.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Eddie has graciously agreed to accept those donations um, through the volunteerism and um, the, uh, the organization that the you Florida
2: yeah, yeah. the outdoor experience for all.
1: The outdoor experience for all organization, but um, you know, it's a essentially a charity, um, and the way it's set up is there's tax implications there that Eddie can explain to you. But by channeling the funds through there, the funds are regulated, so they're not used inappropriately, and um, mm-hmm. it's all audited, and so Eddie will make sure the funds are distributed appropriately. And he could focus on that portion of the administrative part of it. Um, the more we can keep Eddie in an office and off the mountain bike, the longer the poor guy is going to live. No. As you know, Eddie's pretty good at crashing that mountain bike. So I'm doing what I can to keep
2: Eddie in the office, answering the phones and emails.
1: Yeah. And then we'll you be out in all the all woods, time saving time. a lot of
2: rocks. You're saving a lot of rocks <laughs> on South Mountain from Eddie cracking them with his head. <laughs> uh, we'll be out in the woods, and we'll take as many
1: volunteers as we want to come and help. We literally are going to have someone full-time on staff just hauling water. That's what they're going to do this summer um, until we see something change. So we're committed to, to running that. Um, we'll also take donations from businesses. Um, uh, Find businesses like Babbitt Ford are supporting what we're doing, and we would extend that invitation to other businesses. So you ask what's needed and kind of how it works. Um, we'll be taking water from a metropolitan area and moving it into the wilderness. And from there, it gets broken down into smaller um, levels. that gets distributed out to where it's needed by the animals. Um, A lot of the waters will go into what in Arizona we call water catchments. They're places that catch rainfall and store it for animals to drink out of. Um, And it's a passive collection system. When we're not getting the rainfall, then we need to supplement the rainfall. We're literally making it rain by bringing water to those catchments and putting water in the catchments. Um, In addition to the catchments, we're working with the government agencies that have responsibility for those resources and getting permissions to put out troughs. So a lot of the dirt tanks are dry, and it's unprecedented that they're dry this early in the year and that there are so many that are dry. With permission, we're able to put out troughs in those dirt tanks and fill those troughs. Um, It's much more efficient and effective to fill a trough where a dirt tank exists than it is to fill the dirt tank. Um, You can't put enough water in there in a practical way when you haul it um, to overcome evaporation and the soaking into the mud and other things. So those type of troughs that store water at the dirt tanks are a much better option. We do have some troughs available um, but the more troughs that we get, the more animals we can protect. So anyone out there that would like to sponsor a trough, we'd invite you to help us to do that or get a group together to sponsor a trough. Um, those troughs will be purchased, and then they'll be donated to the, re- to the resource to be used in the future. And um, we will take physical labor. We'll take donations for the supplies or the equipment that is used to haul the water, Um, and we're just asking folks to get involved. Come see for yourself what it's like. Uh, You know, you guys will be up there here in a week or so, and when you're there, you're going to see what's going on. And we could do a follow-up podcast where we uh, share that information out to the users, and we'll do a bunch of videos and pictures, Jen, while you're there. And Mm -hmm. let's get that stuff posted on social media, and we can throw some links to that in your podcast, and we can really educate the public on what's going on. I believe that if we awaken the power of the, the groups that are out there, that we can prevent um, the potentially bad things that could happen, to
2: sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great, Russ. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm not sure what Jennifer's availability is to be up there when I'm there, but I can yeah. certainly get some video uh, with you and get it to her to get, her, get it put on her YouTube channel and through her podcast links. Um, to get the word out and hopefully we start getting some rain i was looking at the weather the satellite pictures and it looks like there's some up near seligman and north of prescott and hopefully the monsoon is starting without all the lightning and associated fires it'd be nice if we got some rain with it i know there was some rain in the eastern part of the state yesterday so hopefully it gets going because certainly that's the the best way for things to get filled up if we get a few Drench, you know, soaking rains.
1: Yeah, it actually rained in Flagstaff today, and it did rain on the Kaibab as well, um, but it was not enough rain to do much. It barely settled the dust. It didn't even, um, you know, it didn't puddle or air or anything like that. It it was more like a teasing rain, if you will.
2: Right. Well, hopefully, it's just getting started. Um, we helped, you though. I wanted to touch. I wanted to go back to the outdoor experience for all. And um, we know firsthand how much you do for kids like Jennifer um, that have illnesses, as well as the wounded warriors. And I know you take a lot of the wounded warriors on those hunts. We were at the OE4A banquet last month, and I met a couple of warriors that were there that had been hunting with you in that first hunt. And I know that you had another one. After that, and I know you do a lot for the veterans, whether they're whether they're through wounded warriors or not. But you you do an awful lot for those guys, Russ. And I hope our listeners understand that you certainly walk the walk with that uh, generosity and charitability because you you do it year round uh, to help people out, and it's really uh, a admirable thing. Uh,
1: appreciate that. You know, one of the things I like to share with the listeners is, you know it's not about us. When, when you take someone that has literally sacrificed their body for our country and you see them out in the wilderness healing and having a a good time and a fun time, um, it touches you in ways that are hard to explain. So, you know, we've had several veterans this year that have harvested bison and it's emotional. Um, you know, on several of those hunts, there's not a dry iron camp anywhere. So, Somebody that's missing arms and legs and can't walk and have donated and given so much to our country, I feel like it's our duty to give back. And I would encourage all sportsmen to get involved. You know, we can always welcome volunteers to come help us the veterans, and we have a standing open invitation that if you're available and would like to be involved, um, get in touch with me, and we'd be more than happy to take your volunteerism. Um you can also reach out to any of the sportsmen's groups so outdoor experience for all um, the Arizona Elk Society, Hunt of a Lifetime there's a bunch of groups out there like that and and I can't list them all, but you know what they are if you get out there and, and volunteer they're they always need volunteers. We pretty much have um, between one and four uh, donated permits on almost every hunt and so there's pretty much year-round, a constant need of volunteers. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, And I will say, we, as a family, have been on a lot of Wounded Warrior hunts um, and OEFORI hunts as well, as obviously I got a lot of tags from them. Um, But being with the Warriors, for us, is a lot of fun because we're able to uh, go back and forth and joke around with each other. Uh, But also you see... Um, how they interact with each other when you're in group hunts, or even just how they get through life, how they've adapted to the injuries they have, and how they're still, they want to get out there, they want to go hunting, they want to be treated like a normal person. Um, And it's touching to see them go through that, especially um, as a family we've hunted with a lot of them, especially when you can see a few of them kind of change, and get more comfortable in their skin and hang out with, um, their brothers and sisters and they like, get to hang out with everybody uh, and they they seem genuinely happy and they joke around and it's fun uh, and it's touching to see that. It's great to see them kind of almost like feel normal again and not feel like um, this person who was injured and they're they they do not view themselves as like an injured person they're like a group in camp and <laughs> hanging out and hunting and it brings people together and it's amazing to see.
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, we've already had um, one young man that was with Hunt of a Lifetime. And, you know, the veterans are certainly um, a big part of what we do, and we enjoy hunting with them. But we're fortunate to have, uh, you know, hunters with special needs or life-threatening illnesses um, that are youth. And Mm -hmm. it breaks my heart when I see a young person, um, not yet a teenager, that struggles with, you know, life and death situations and the power and the courage that they exhibit just in being there. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: in their day-to-day life, hearing the stories about the negative things that happen to them at home, and then they come to the Kaibab and they're royalty when they're there. You know, they're important people. There's nobody picking on them. And they have an amazing, wonderful, fun time. And we can't fix problems in their life, um, what we can do is make sure that when they come there, they're treated special and they have an amazing experience. Just seeing their eyes light up to be treated like a person and and feel a comfortable, safe place where they can excel is, uh, is very rewarding. Um, you know, we joke that the hunters that come, um, they leave, and even a week later, their feet still have not touched the ground, and it feels mm-hmm. so good to be able to help. And experience that.
0: Yeah, um, those, I, um, as an oa a kid has gone on those hunts and someone with um, terminal illness, the, the outdoors adds a lot. You're not sitting in your room or sitting in your house thinking about how you're sick or what meds you need to take or what hospital room you're going to go in next or whatever. You're thinking about, oh, this animal is right there. I'm in the middle of nature. I'm with these people who see me as a person and not a sick kid. And you're treated as a, like, a big hunter and someone who is hunting these big games. And it kind of changes how you look at life a little bit, especially while you're there and a lot of times when you come back. Because I know as when I was a kid, I was always viewed as a sick kid. But when I, as a, uh, quote-unquote sick kid, when I went out on these hunts, when I was able to get these big animals, I, you are, like you said, it's like royalty. It's like, it's an amazing experience and you're treated amazing because of an accomplishment you just had. And it's a great experience. And I am so thankful for the eight years that I hunted with OA4A before I aged out. Um, and I'm so grateful that I'm still involved in that. And I'm able to help kids who, haven't gotten involved in hunting yet, help them get involved and have these experiences that I did growing up because it changes you. It really does.
2: And you can attest to the fact that you treat you very well, Jennifer, Russ and his family, they pick on you, they tease you, they laugh with you, they make you feel at home. And it's a, it's a great atmosphere for sure.
0: Yes. Um, Buffalo Camp with Russ was a lot of fun. I got to, I think I drove a Raptor for like 800, I don't know, maybe a, 100 yards or something like that. But uh, it was a lot of fun. It <laughs> it was um, hunting camp is just a different experience. And hunting camp with Russ was a lot of fun. He taught me a lot about um, buffalo and just their patterns on, on the kaibab and how it, to identify one as male or female uh, in a big group and a herd. And it was – I learned a lot from that um, experience, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, and Russ did make it. He made it a lot of fun. He showed us how to put – uh, buffalo in the back of Raptors with like little to no effort because he has all his little bag of tricks and that works very well. Um, and it was very memorable and I love that. I love that experience.
1: Thanks, Jen. We um we remember those experiences and you know I, I feel a little guilty at times that we get to be on the Kayabab, some of the best weather in Arizona, in some of the most beautiful parts of Arizona, and we're there so much. Um, you know mm-hmm. we're there three, four, five days a week, um, myself, and then on top of that, we have, uh, you know, our team of people that fill in when I can't be there. But just getting to see the beauty of nature and being there is is amazing. And then you add into it all your permitted hunters that draw through the draw cycle, and then all of our extra special hunters um, from the veterans and the special needs hunters from the youth. And it's very mm-hmm. fulfilling, very rewarding um, to be able to to do that as much as we do. So, you know, we thank you for the opportunity to have built those memories with you.
0: Well, oh, thanks. It was a great experience. And hopefully my dad will be as lucky as I was. I don't know. Knock on wood. I don't know how I got that, that I did. That never happened, Jennifer.
2: <laughs> I yeah. doubt that I can do well, you in sure 15
1: minutes in the blind. <laughs> Uh, what we find is buffalo karma is a real thing, and it's a word that we use to describe the uh, the deserved nature of the hunter. Um, apparently, the more pure and deserving a hunter is, often the the more quickly they harvest their animals. So,
2: if it takes All that right, a God, long I'll see, time, I'll see you in a month. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have you in the blind room. I know. Plus, I think that I think the fact that you're usually on the verge of sleeping if you're not sleeping, that may be part of why you emit a more relaxed atmosphere to the animals.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. Hey, you've got to tell me what you've been up to. Oh, um, I have been up to school. I um Obviously, the pandemic was a crazy. I mean, it's still going on, but I was quarantined for. I think like over 300 days, it was a lot of fun. I loved it. Um, but nah. my parents, <laughs> my parents, um, they let me get an apartment for my first semester of college. So I was at least out of the house doing online classes, which I'm very thankful for. It definitely helped um, the whole experience of being locked in quarantine. Uh, but in February, I moved out. I got to Texas Christian. So I moved out to Fort Worth in February, right at the beginning of that huge ice storm. Um, and I was there uh-huh. until May, just taking class, just doing classes and studying, um, and now I'm doing summer school. I have about a week and a half left of that, um, and then I'm going to try and go up to the cabin and get out of the heat from the valley and just enjoy a little bit of summer, like a month and a half of summer before I have to go back to school. But it's been good. It's been a lot of fun, challenging. Uh, classes were hard, but it's okay. It's Growing up, so it's been a lot of fun, Um, and I'm glad to finally be out in the world again and experience college, just a little bit normal. So have you declared a major? Yes. I'm a biology major um, on the pre PA track, so I want to be a physician's assistant.
1: Okay. Well, I think that's an admirable career, and I think you'll do very well at it.
0: Thank you. Um, Yeah. Keeping the medicine in the family, I guess. But I'm excited; it'll be fun. I've been spending a lot of time with my dad at his office. Not a lot, some time at my dad, my dad's office with him, um, watching him do surgeries and learning from him. Uh, And it's it's been a lot. It's been great because as I was obviously growing up, I heard stories about my dad's patients and I've seen pictures because I love that um, surgery aspect of everything he does. And so it's been cool to kind of to see it from a point of view of shadowing and wanting to learn what he does. So I want to be a dermatologist PA. Um, so not exactly what he does, but pretty similar. So it's been, it's been cool to see him do everything he does from a different perspective. as I've been growing up. So it's been fun.
1: You know, there's a special connection, I think, between fathers and daughters. And I can only imagine how proud he
2: must be of you and your choice. Okay. No, that's for sure. Yeah. And Jennifer's very bright. She can do whatever she wants to do. And, You know, she wanted to become a physician, and um, I asked her to evaluate what her goals were with career and family, and after our discussion, my recommendation to her was become a physician assistant. It gives you more freedom without the time commitment of getting through medical school residency and fellowship if you need to do that, and an opportunity to work three or four days a week and raise a family if that's what she wants to do, and become specialized. You can even change specialties as a PA, but... uh, Jennifer's certainly bright enough to accomplish whatever she wants to, and we're very proud of her. So she's got a long way to go, but it'll fly by for sure. Yes, yeah, it will.
1: Do you have any cool permits no. this year?
0: Um, at, since I aged out of O a 4 I'm back with normal people drawing tags. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I have a cal elk tag um, and then maybe some over-the-counter tags next in the spring um but people keep asking me what's next and what i'm going to hunt next and my dad keeps saying the grand clam of prairie dogs because it's a lot cheaper um but i've hunted more in my 19 years than most people have in a lifetime so i'm going to focus on school and hunt with my family as much as possible um but i think it's time to give some other people a chance to kill some things because i've done a lot
2: that's fair (laughs) And Russ, we do have a lot of hunts with the family. I've got uh, archery antelope with David and archery elk tag with David. Uh, One of those is in Wyoming. One is in New Mexico. I've got some, I have also an archery antelope tag for myself in Colorado. I drew an archery bull elk tag here in Arizona in 18B, and I have the elk hunt in New Mexico. And then Carol and Jennifer and our two boys have the cow elk tag in November. So, We've got, we've got quite a few things to do this fall, and it's nice to be able to have some activities and freedom uh, after 2020 being such a lockdown for us as a family. Um, but I did want to ask you, Russ, so a lot, for people, I know that they use your pod podcast with you as a resource to prepare for these bison hunts. They can be a long time waiting for the bison to come out of the park, and, and I know I have friends that personally have never, didn't get a chance, or they passed on. Bison didn't get one uh, during the time they're there. What do you recommend for people to do to prepare mentally for the the long sits and the the long and, and the high number of days that may be required, and recommendations for how to spend the time in the blind? Resources that are helpful for people, you know, to sit there for 12 or 14 hours.
1: Okay. Um, lots to unpack there, but one of the best ways to prepare for these kind of extreme hunts, whether you're talking a bison hunt or a sheep hunt, I think is to come on a hunt. So we're there year round and we have a standing open invitation that if you want to come see what it's all about, come hang out with me. You can sit next to me in the Raptor and drive around for the day and, uh, learn firsthand. See it for yourself. That's one of the best ways to prepare for the hunt. Um, Once you've done that, you'll better understand why the hunt is conducted the way it is and how to prepare for your individual season. So it is a long sit in the blind, but I find it's good for people. Um, So many modern humans are used to our push-button, instant gratification, entertain-me, perfect temperature world where you get out of your air-conditioned house or your heated house and you get in your air-conditioned and heated car and you travel to your air-conditioned and heated office, and they've lost connection with nature and outdoors. You know, our ancestors didn't have those resources, and they learned how to thrive in cold temperatures and hot temperatures and how to deal with those kinds of things. I think as modern sportsmen, we lose a lot when we expect that everything's going to be this instant gratification and push-button world. So if you can find a way to return to nature and still oneself, how to sit quietly and enjoy nature, how to listen, Um, read a book, write a journal, Um, maybe wood carve. There's some quiet activities you can do in a blind that will certainly help. Um, A lot of our hunters choose to use electronic devices in the blind with headphones, and that's certainly a great way to pass time. Um, You know, I think time is better spent watching uh, educational videos, but uh, a lot of hunters will watch movies or other things that that are entertaining, and there's certainly no shortage of information out there on the internet today that you could take advantage of if you've prepared ahead of time with a large volume of material. Um, you'd be
2: surprised at how quickly the time can go by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and there are many times I've been on, unfortunately, unsuccessful hunts where you get a lot of time alone for introspection, and I think it's a very valuable. Uh, thing to have in your life Uh, there's you can't replace that time where you get to be alone and and think about yourself your life your values your religion and where you are um, without distraction it's difficult to get that it's in your house or at work or even driving just being uh, in a blind or on a mountainside or hiking a mountain by yourself gives a lot of time for the personal growth which is very valuable Um, I don't think I want to spend 30 days doing that, but sometimes uh, it happens. You know, Jennifer got maybe 10 minutes of that introspection slash trying not to sleep before she got her her bison, but um, I do think that there's a lot of ways to come out of that, the time um, alone better off. So I agree with you on that. Um, I I did also want to ask you, Russ. what is your – I'm sorry, go ahead, Jennifer.
0: Oh, I was going to make a joke and say so that I always bring my dad so that I can take a nap. But the times that I'm not sleeping, um, obviously you don't always have service when you're in a blind. Um, so it's a different time. Obviously, like I'm a young kid, I'm 19, and so I love being on my phone. Um, but I like to take hunts as my time to not be. Um, I play a lot of solitaire actually on my phone, but to not be on social media, to not be um, doing things like that when I'm when I'm hunting, I like to take that as my little break and just either do homework they so usually have homework to do or just take the time to be outdoors because it's not a very common thing that we have nowadays and to just embrace it when I'm not sleeping. But it's always I always come out um when I have that time to reflect on hunts just to uh, not be on my phone and just have a different look at life a little bit differently when I'm out in the in the wilderness.
2: Yeah, yeah for um, sure. I know I know that was a
1: big part. Go ahead, Russ. I'd say certainly admirable, Jen. Uh, Not
2: everyone feels the same way, but they probably should.
0: Yeah. What were you going to say, Dan? My
2: my other question, Russ, that I was um, going to ask you is, how would you rate uh, the moon phase uh, in priority for bison activity compared to temperature um, and dry conditions? Does moon still factor in quite a bit to their activity, nocturnal versus daytime? It it certainly
1: can. Um, Rather than ranking individual factors in priority order, what I try to do is just think of them as sliding scales or rules of thumb, okay? Um, But they can be counteracting um, resource factors, and what I'll do is try to explain that. So when Caleb Weekly, the veteran, harvested his bison, it was pretty much middle of the day and we had a pretty full moon and that's contradictory. You know, normally you think of full moon, it's easier for bison to be nocturnal, Um, but it was hot and dry. So when it's hot and dry and it's a long day, even when there's a full moon, we can see a lot of activity in the middle of the day. If the days are short and it's wet under a full moon, we would probably expect to see a lot more nocturnal activity. Um, But you can imagine that the day is so long that they were not, they were busy at night. But now, by the time the middle of the day, they need to be busy again. So, generally speaking, hotter the weather the better, drier the weather the better, the darker the moon the better. Um, but I'm famous for telling hunters: you can't control the weather, you can't control the moon phase, you can't control the length of the day, other than which hunts you choose to apply for. So get out there and hunt. You know, we have killed bison during a blizzard on a full moon during the day so you know just because that's a general 10 doesn't mean you can't kill them at other times but generally speaking um, the ideal conditions is what you would expect them to be i do also want to point out that one of our biggest challenges is the behavior of humans on the forest and Mm -hmm. some of that's hunters but some of it is other forest visitors. You can imagine that if we're hunting a park boundary, along that park boundary it's important that we're sneaky so that bison will want to come off that we can harvest them. But there could be other forest visitors riding their motorcycles or UTVs or camping or other things right along the park boundary, and they're certainly entitled to do that. It's public land, and we can't stop them. But it can be frustrating when there's literally thousands of square miles of other places people could recreate that doesn't change their experience and wouldn't disrupt what's happening with the bison. So if you believe in supporting conservation, um, changing your behavior and your recreation areas can have a big difference in supporting conservation. So of all the factors that matter, the one that I would put at the top, is human behavior along the park boundary?
0: And Russ, I was going to ask you um, with the pandemic and people being quarantined, and um, especially early last year, getting out of the city, did that affect the hunts much? Because were there more people in the park doing more things um, outdoors on the boundary, or did it really not make a big difference? Was there not a drastic change in the amount of people up there?
1: Well. You're going to think I'm crazy with this answer, but the answer is yes, but no. (laughs) Um, Okay. (laughs) So let me me explain what I mean by that. So I think in the early part of the pandemic, people were scared, and they didn't Mm -hmm. recreate as much outdoors um, because they didn't know what was going on. You know, they weren't sure if they were going to die tomorrow. But as the pandemic waged on further and further, I think people got sick of it and realized that it wasn't um, the same risk for everyone. And that being Mm -hmm. outdoors was a great place to be to minimize your risks. So we certainly saw an uptick in behavior when it was allowed to happen. You know, there were some areas closed initially, but as those opened back up, we saw a big influx of people, okay? Um, Mm -hmm. For permit holders, we had permit holders that were high risk, and we implemented some additional precautions to make them be safe, And I'm Mm -hmm. happy to report that in more than a calendar year, we've yet to have a single case of uh, COVID in our camp. Now, we can't prevent that from happening, but I would like to believe that the precaution measures that we instituted um, helped. So Mm -hmm. certainly someone could bring it there inadvertently or unknowingly, and there's nothing I could do to stop it. But our behavior and our response to how we, we dealt with the pandemic Um, minimize those risks, and people felt they were in a safe environment, and it proved to be a very healthy environment for folks. So I would encourage people that when these types of events happen, seek nature because it's usually safer there than in the big cities.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what we did. We were up at our cabin from like a week into the pandemic until August when David and Timmy had to go back to school. So we were up there. We built a garden. We built a dock. Um, did a bunch of stuff outdoors that we normally wouldn't do over the summer. So it was a lot of fun, a lot of family bonding. We had, I loved it. Um, I got to hang out with my brothers more than I I probably ever will again because we're all getting lives and jobs and school. But, um, yeah, spending time outdoors with your family, um, there's nothing better and nothing that can replace that uh, and the memories that you make together. Uh, But just don't do it when we're trying to buffalo hunt people. (laughs) I
1: would not think of that. Well, do it when we're buffalo hunting, but maybe not within two miles of the boundary. Yeah,
0: just not
2: at the border. <laughs> or come and we'll by camp. camp and and park. Was, it, was it closed last year during the beginning of the pandemic? Was the park closed? You know, I'm,
1: I'm trying to remember because, you know, essentially the park closes because of the wintertime, right? And then it opens again. Mm-hmm. And there right. were certainly a lot of restrictions. And, um, you know it wasn't a normal year even this year is not a normal year uh, certainly mm. a lot of activity people back out recreating and so on and so forth but you may have noticed on my Facebook I posted that uh, because of the drought there's severe water restrictions and rationing and mm. the showers and the laundry facilities inside the park at the campground have been closed for the season already uh-huh. and so we're encouraging visitors to come to prepare accordingly and to make sure they bring enough resources because you may not be able to get the resources that you would normally expect to find in those areas.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Um, Dad, do you have any other questions about, like, your hunt, what you're going to expect? Because you head out there next weekend, correct?
2: Yeah, my hunt starts on Friday, so I'll be driving up on Thursday. And, um, uh I guess regarding ice, Russ, usually you guys, that corner store near where you camp typically has blocks of ice. Is that still the case? Yeah, the North Rim
1: Country Store has done a great job of bringing in an additional freezer and storing block ice and pretty much segregated for the bison hunters. When you show up at the store and go, I need 20 blocks of ice, they say congratulations. They know why you're
2: there.
1: (laughs) So that's certainly um, a resource available to us. And then we, of course, are prepared with as much resources as we can have um, with chest freezers and frozen water bottles to help with that initial cool down of the bison. And we're seeing drastic temperature changes. So within the last week, we've seen lows in the 20s, and we've seen highs in the 80s, even pushing 90. So there's an extreme temperature swing um, but we're starting to see fewer of those freezing at night temperatures um, where we're actually needing to put bison on ice or in freezers where just a few weeks ago we could let bison hang overnight and they'd be near frozen the next morning.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I've found, um, Russ, that's helpful for ice is filling up those diesel exhaust fluid canisters and then freezing them. They're about a 15-pound block and they fit well in the ice chest, so I'll be bringing some of those.
1: Yeah, and they're they're really good because it's a great way to recycle something that normally just goes in a landfill.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they have a nice handle. It's easier to carry they, around than blocks of roulette. They do. Excellent. Um, Jen, you have anything I mean, else
0: for Russ? Um, the buffalo hunts, I um, asked – we talked about pretty much everything I wanted to cover. One thing I did want to ask you, though, Russ, um, I remember you talking about your um, Alaska outfitting that you want to try and get into or that you're planning to get into. Um, so how has that been going? Have you done much with that since um, – I well, I think I've heard it on a podcast with Jay. So how has that been going for you?
1: It's been going well. So what we're doing is um, – We kind of joke a little bit, but it's not much of a joke, that it's hard to be a hunter in Arizona anymore for big game because the permits are difficult to get. Um, Mm -hmm. There's certainly permits that you can get, but even the deer is going to a draw, even for the archery deer. So the opportunities are diminishing over time. Um, Most of the hunters that are holding out for the better permits, it's a 15- or 20-year proposition to draw the better permits or even longer. You know, a rifle antelope permit in Arizona could take you close to 30 years to draw. Um, It's essentially becoming a -a once-in-a-lifetime hunt, regardless of whether or not it's the bag limit for the species. Um, Sheep tags are that way. The trophy elk tags are that way. The antelope tags are that way. The trophy deer hunts are that way. So it's difficult to be a hunter in Arizona. You're more of a professional applier in Arizona. So we have this customer base of people that have come and hunted with us like yourselves that have really enjoyed that experience and really enjoy uh, the way that we approach the hunts. So we looked around and said, all right, we've got this customer base. Where can we provide an outdoor experience that's amazing and where the draws are not so difficult? And, you know, there's some Western states um, where if you play all Western states, you can get permits. And there's some western states like Wyoming where antelope tags are fairly plentiful. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a state with the hunting opportunities that Alaska has. Um, So for the reasons of tag availability and for the selfish reason of I want to hunt pretty much everything in Alaska, we figured why don't we start up a similar operation in Alaska? And so we've begun doing that. And we're going to offer both the outfitted hunts, like we do here in Arizona, as well Mm -hmm. as guided hunts, but we're also going to do the do-it-yourself or co-op hunts that we do here in Arizona. We're going to offer those to folks in Alaska. Um, You know, my formal training is an engineer, so I'm good at solving problems. And I think Mm -hmm. the big challenge or obstacle for folks in Alaska is kind of twofold. Part of it is just the sheer logistics of trying to function in Alaska, and the other part is maybe the expense. So we're going to try to pool resources and get hunters to work together to overcome those two challenges by providing resources that hunters can utilize to do a do-it-yourself hunt and to um, provide resources for hunters to work together to reduce costs. I think by doing those two things that we can help Uh, a larger segment of the population enjoy outdoor activities without having to wait 15 or 20 years. So that's what we're working towards, and um, that's what we're doing. Um, We're in the process of purchasing uh, resources in Alaska. Um, There's some challenges there with the pandemic. So I've ordered nine pickup trucks, and I'm having a hard time getting them. Um, But as those resources come online, we'll make those resources available for hunters in Alaska.
2: And when are you forecasting that your first hunts
1: will take place
2: in Alaska? We
1: have hunted the last two calendar years up there um, as a small group of friends and family as we um, explore opportunities, and um, we have hunters this year that will be going up and working together on some uh, team do-it-yourself type hunts. And uh, as we move forward with securing facilities and resources, we'll be offering the outfitted hunts as well.
0: Great. Wow. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Alaska is amazing. I haven't hunted there, but I've been there once. It's so pretty. Um, and there are so many different animals up there, and they're, um, it's a great experience up there. Um, you all know, All right. Jen, Go
1: ahead. I, I was going to tell you, uh, and I'm sure your dad can relate to this, I spent a solid week in the back country with my daughter. And so mm. we get up in the morning and it's already daylight. I mean, it's always daylight in Alaska that time of year. And yeah. there's nobody else around. It was just the two of us. And we hike up on a mountain and we sit down and we just started glassing. And it wasn't about killing an animal. It was about spending time outdoors with my daughter. Um, we glassed for about four hours. And in that four hours, I think we spotted 14 black bears. And you just don't have those kinds of experiences in Arizona. At least one of those black bears was probably the biggest bear I'd ever seen of a black bear variety. And it was just super cool to share that with my daughter. Um, You know, you talk about how your family's getting older and they're starting their own lives. I know that the days of me having her solely to myself or coming to an end is eventually some boy is going to
2: survive my threats and propose to her. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have that same issue potentially. But Jennifer is in that and, state and of me. here at this point. But
1: Well, Dad, if you ever need help disposing of a boy, I volunteer. Um, <laughs> but, Perfect.
0: It, oh, it's
1: one of those days that you know is coming it's inevitable and you want it to happen you think i'm trying to come to terms with it it's just hard for a dad because he cares so much you know and yeah. i'm sure you'll dad agree that no boy is good enough for his daughter but that's, just true. Being there in the
0: wilderness,
1: that's true yeah absolutely being there in the wilderness with her having that enjoyable time um and we did an experiment i was the guinea pig It was like, how many wild blueberries can you eat before you get the runs? And um, (laughs) I ate at least a five-gallon bucket of blueberries every day, and I never got the runs. So next time we go, we're going to have to step it up to a larger portion um, because five gallons of blueberries wasn't enough to do it. But for Arizona hunters, being in a landscape where wild berries are just plentiful everywhere was both exhilarating and so foreign and strange at the same time that it's really hard to describe.
2: You're right. And that is awesome to be able to be hiking down a mountain and just take your hand and just reach it out and pull blueberries off a bush as you go past it and just throw them in your mouth. You know, instead of reaching in your pack to get a snack, you just grab fresh, delicious blueberries as you're walking. It's a pretty good deal. You know,
1: we spent 10 days on a river with my son and for 10 days we never filtered a drop of water. And it was the most pure, clean water I've ever seen. Our tap water isn't as pure and clean as the water that we were drinking up there. Um, so those kinds of experiences are are things that we're hoping to add to our repertoire and be able to share with others.
0: Yeah, the awesome. only time I've ever seen fresh berries on a hunt was a buffalo hunt, and we were trying to – we were tracking one of the buffalo guys shot, and I thought it was blood, but it was a little baby strawberry. That was the only time I found berries hunting. It was on the kaibab, yeah, so there were
1: some really awesome wild strawberries on the kebab. It's amazing how a fruit so small can pack so much flavor.
2: Mhm. It's true.
0: Yeah, it was it was good. Well, Jen, um, yeah, I,
1: I do need to tell you that I wish you well in your college pursuits. I think that's admirable.
0: Yeah.
1: And you uh, know that that's awesome, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. Uh, it's always good to catch up with your family, and I, I wish you well in your future endeavors.
0: Well, thank you, and thank you for um, coming on here. I know you're busy with all the hunts, um, and I love talking to you about this stuff because you know so much about it, and you're very passionate about it, so it makes for a very good conversation. Um, anything else you guys would like to add um, before we close out? Also, Russ, um, I'll, talk to, I'll text you and get um, links and everything, and I'll put your – For the description, I'll put Eddie's contact and your contact, and your Facebook and everything. But anything else you wanted to mention? Um, just kind of closing thoughts.
1: So my passion is get involved. You know, Mm -hmm. so many outfitters is about how big of the animals they kill, and we certainly kill giant buffalo. And and there's a portion of that in the hunting community that's important. But my passion really lies with the conservation portion. And that's honestly one of the reasons that we've gravitated towards doing so much of the bison. You know, we do the other hunts, and we do a good job at them. But some of my favorite hunts are the bison because you don't hear too many hunters complaining about how big their bison is. They're just happy Mm -hmm. to have the experience. And I think we lose so much as sportsmen when we worry about score. So get involved. Give back to the resource. Haul some water here in Arizona. Um, If you're in another state, I can't speak to what's needed in your state, but I know that things are needed. So make friends with your local conservation officers. Find out how to get involved. Take a kid, honey. Take a veteran, honey. Take a needy kid, honey. Um, Make a difference in your community because when it's all said and done, when you stand before your maker and you give an accounting of your time in this world, he might ask you how big that buck was you took that one time. (laughs) But I bet you he's going to be more interested
2: in what you did to help the others around you. Excellent viewpoint, Russ. I agree 100% with with what you say and how you actually uh, follow through and do those things. So I'll let Jennifer wrap it up. But I look forward to spending the next uh, few days or weeks with you Mm -hmm. on my Bison tag. It took me 28 years to draw it. So uh, I'm excited for that.
1: We're really looking forward to it and can't wait to have you up there.
0: Yes, it'll. um, Hopefully, Dad will have good luck. Uh, I told my dad that if he needs me after a week or so, um, I won't be doing anything. I can just be there and nap in the blind and hopefully bring some good karma. Um, Well, that's (laughs) because
2: she's taking a physics class at Arizona State right now, Russ. That's why she has that window of time that she's talking about. So going to the the right school for that and studying some good stuff.
1: I'm also an ASU yeah. alum, and I remember taking that's physics right. at ASU, so I know I know what she's going through. So um, with Father's Day coming up, I promise to take good care of your dad, and if we can pull it together, uh, hopefully we'll have a Buffalo picture before then. But if not, um, that will be our quest, is to get him a nice bison um, to celebrate Father's Day.
2: That's great. I think yeah. Father's Day is the Sunday before, so that's this Sunday, right, Jen? So it'll be okay. – the Tigers and yeah, after that. So in order to, to obey it by it. the game laws, we won't shoot it before.
0: So. <laughs> right, right.
2: But I appreciate yeah. the sentiments, and we can, we can celebrate Father's Day the following week when I'm up there. So that sounds great. Yes. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys both um, for coming on here. Thank you, Russ, for everything. You're talking uh, – for everything helping out up there, hauling water.
1: Yeah, we lost Jen. She might have fallen
2: asleep. <laughs> um but anyway I'll, I'll i'll wrap it up for Russ. thanks so much for taking oh, the time and for all you do i'm back and wake up jen you got to finish your podcast
0: i'm sorry i got kicked out i don't know what happened i think i actually hit that but <laughs> thank you russ for everything um i don't know when it cut me off but it was great talking to you uh and if i don't get the chance to get up there on the tie um i hope you guys have fun and i hope you have good luck dad uh, and I hope the rest of the homes go well, and I hope you guys get some rain. I hope you all get rain. We need rain.
1: Thanks, Jen. Good luck in your physics.
0: Thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Good talking to you. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I love talking to Russ about all this stuff. He's so passionate and knowledgeable about all the information up there on the Kaibab. I actually recorded this podcast about a week and a half ago, and because of all the fires and the huge drought in Arizona, the National Forest has closed, so my dad was not able to go. On his buffalo hunt, he donated the tag back. So hopefully one of the Oya4A kids will be able to take the tag once the forest reopens. Um, but he is not keeping his tag. Hopefully he'll draw it sometime soon. It took him 28 years to draw the first time. But he has put his points, so hopefully he'll draw it again soon. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. Because, you know, life is short and so am I. And I'm trying to make the most out of every day. And I hope that you guys do too. I hope you'll have a great journey and you make it in life.
2: Well, you better know the bottom if you want to be a climber. Cause there's always another one a little bit higher Just when I think I'm finally done I'm staring at another one So I reach down deep and I lay them up tighter It was only a matter